0: Hey, church home! Happy Sunday from my home to yours. My name is Judah. Been married to my wife Chelsea for 20 years. We got three kids: 16, 13, and 11. So, like, I start every message like that now. But uh, literally, in my home with an iPhone and uh, some help for the sound. But it's just me here. We are in this room. And uh, on this Sunday is part two. So on Wednesday, we did Jesus on Religion part one. This is now Jesus on Religion part two. It's a study in Mark chapter 11, verses 11 to 26. For those keeping track, you can join us. Hey, if this is your first time at church home, wherever you are in the world watching, you're incredible. Um, thank you for being here. We love you. You do not have to believe what I believe or what anybody believes to belong here, be loved here, cared for here, seen here, celebrated here. Thank you so much for being with us. You are going to find out real quick. I am a Jesus guy. Pretty passionate about Jesus. Believe that He's God, and He is the only one that can save us from our error, our wrong, our sin, our selfishness. Um, he's the model. He's the King. Uh, he's the best. He's the love of my life. He's changed everything. So. We are talking today, again, part two of Jesus on religion. And here's the question we started with on Wednesday. I'll start with it again. Are you lacking empathy? Or in this case, is your empathy leaking? Uh, I think right now we have an over-inundation, if you will, of information and trauma and pain and loss. Um much of which we need to see and need to engage in. And yet, nonetheless, it can cause empathy fatigue. We can stop feeling the pain of others, or worse, we can stop wanting to feel the pain of others. And we established on Wednesday that I believe the culprit in all of this, in terms of keeping us from Putting ourselves in the pain of others and caring for our fellow man and being the neighbor that Jesus talks about. I believe the culprit is religion. It's these systems of control and manipulation that have no power, no life, no ability to save us, transform us, reform us. Um, And as a result, I think religion is one of the main culprits in hate and division and racism and oppression and marginalization. I think religion, this sense of self-righteousness that tells you and me we are better than others or better than them or better than they or better than her or better than him, when in reality, um, that is absolutely not the case and not the truth. What I need, what you need is empathy in days like these, a willingness, a passion, a desire to put ourselves in the pain of another. As we do that, we begin to live out the love that Jesus demonstrated. So, how? How do we recover the passion, the energy, the strength to put ourselves in the pain of our fellow man, to put ourselves in the pain? Of others. I think of the families, over 180,000 deaths just in the United States of America, let alone around the world. Families missing loved ones. I think about the 450 years of systematic slavery, marginalization, and oppression of our black brothers and sisters just in the United States of America, let alone around the world. We need to put ourselves in the pain of others. And by doing so, we become more alive. We become more human. We become more like Jesus. And we grow. And we become not only the people we're supposed to be, we become the nations, the countries, and the continents that God designed us to be. So how how do you recover empathy? How do you let go of religion and self-righteousness that tells you you don't need to feel anybody else's pain because you're better? How do you overcome that? How do you move past that? How do you become the person God designed you to be? Well, we've been doing a study in Mark chapter 11. I want to continue that, share a few more observations with you that I think will help you in The process. Can I just say, stop all the presses, stop the camera for a moment, not literally. Um, You're doing better than you think you are. The fact that you're watching this message, the fact that you're watching these minutes of these studies in ancient scripture is proof that you want to grow. You want to become more like Jesus. So, all of us all over the world right now, as we have gathered, We can beat ourselves up and tell ourselves we're this, that, and the other. But the truth is, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are chosen. You are loved. You are cared for. You are seen. You're of infinite value before him. And you were made for 2020. You were designed and timed to be alive right now. And that is incredible. So I love you. I believe in you, and without a doubt, I believe what's happening to our world and happening to this nation, God is working it together for our good and for our growth, and specifically, even more so, so the church can be, so we can become and be the church that God has always designed and desired. How do we recover empathy. How do we do that? Well, in the teachings of Jesus, there is much to say, but I want to jump in and make just a few more observations in Mark chapter 11. If you remember the story, here's my 10 second review. You literally have Jesus walking into the church or the temple of the day, and he turns over tables where they're selling doves and pigeons and animals for animal sacrifice, according to the Jewish law and the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, tells them they had to sacrifice animals to appease God and to cover for their sin. Well, as a result, in the ancient antiquity, the temple of the day, they were keeping people out, particularly non-Jews, Gentiles, or half-Jews, were not allowed in the temple. So Jesus didn't go in the temple on this particular day. He was out in the courts in the temple area where the majority of the oppression literally was happening. People were being whittled out of their money and out of their cash and out of the few coins they had to their name and Jesus wouldn't have it. He is removing the system because he is replacing the system with himself. No longer religion, relating to God by rules, but now a relationship and relating to God through love and acceptance. This is the message we share. The world has changed as we know it, who changed it? His name is Jesus. I want to jump into a few more observations before I do. Yes, I've been wearing a hat a lot, and the reason for that is my hair is so long, and I haven't had a haircut in months. And so I FaceTimed Chelsea earlier this morning, and she said, go get a haircut. Literally do whatever you need to do. Go get a haircut and shave your beard. So I haven't done either, so I put on this hat so that I could talk to you on this Sunday about Jesus on religion. Part two, Jesus on religion. Let's jump in in verse 22. It says that Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. Let the faith of God be in you. Now, this is Jesus' response to Peter saying, look at this fig tree. Okay, one of the morning, Jesus was hungry. Sorry, I just kicked the camera with my foot. Sorry, things that happen when you're filming yourself, right? (laughs) But right after Jesus looked around the temple, he went out to Bethany. There he slept with his disciples. They get up in the morning. On his way from Bethany back to Jerusalem, he sees a fig tree. And he says to the fig tree, because there's no fruit on it, he says, may no one ever eat from you again. Now, this is, of course, a metaphor. The fig tree, the leaves on the fig tree, which represent or not too dissimilar to the leaves that Adam and Eve used to cover themselves. Jesus is cursing religion. Actually, he doesn't curse it. He just says, no, Peter says he cursed it. But he says, no one will eat from you again, which is to say when it comes to the 600 plus rules that people have tried to keep to be close to God, that is going to shrivel up and die. And there's no nourishment there. There's no sustenance there. There's no life there. So Jesus declares this to the fig tree. Now, they're back a day later, and Peter sees the fig tree, one of the 12 disciples, probably the oldest, and Peter says, Jesus, look at the fig tree you cursed. Peter said he cursed it. Jesus never cursed it. He just said, no one will ever eat from you again. He wasn't cursing the law or cursing the system. He was declaring a fact that he had come to replace it, and no one would eat from it again Boy, it makes me start to think, am I eating from religion? Am I drinking from self-righteousness? Am I drinking and eating and digesting self-sufficiency? Am I trying to eat from a tree that Jesus said is dead and gone? I know the answer to that is sometimes absolutely. I put on those pathetic leaves to cover up my shame and my embarrassment and the fact that I am just average and ordinary, broken and human like everybody else. I try to put up appearances, I try to put up a face, I try to put up a persona that I am put together, uh, not broken, not not needy and when in reality I'm I'm just that. I'm broken. I'm needy. I'm hurting. Jesus said to the tree no one's going to eat from you again. Cleanses the temple. The tree is a picture of the temple. And then he teaches, which we talked about on Wednesday. I want my home, my church, home, house, church. I want it to be a place where anyone in all nations can share in a relationship with God through things like prayer. But you've made it, Jesus, a den of thieves or a place where people take and steal. their takers instead of. Givers, And I said this on Wednesday, but one of the hallmarks of people who are relating to God based on relationship and Jesus and love is they are generous. They are givers. They are open-hearted people, open-handed people who welcome all people to share in the beauty, love, forgiveness, grace, purpose, and plan of Jesus for their life. But of course, if you're religious... You get in and want no one else to get in because you want that eliteness. You want that exclusivity, your self-sustaining, self-righteous rules that I, you, we have all tried to fulfill. When you even fulfill some of it, it begins to preach to you and tell you you're better, you're elite, you're separate from normal people or average people, or below average people. And before you know it, you've got classes and categories that God never instituted. In fact, he raged against. How do you recover empathy? Well, Jesus goes on to say, and he says, if someone says to this mountain, this is in response to the fig tree, being dead, shriveled up, and dying, Peter's like, whoa, look what you did. He's like, pray, talk to God. You can do the same thing. I can do the same thing. What does this mean? Well, he says, if you say to this mountain and you have faith in your heart, be lifted up and thrown in the midst of the sea, it'll be done. Now, hold on a second. I've been alive for 41 years, raised by a pastor. He was raised by a pastor. He was raised by a pastor. He was raised by a pastor. Like, I've been around Christians for a long time, people who have faith in Jesus. I have never seen anybody have enough faith to put actual mountains into seas, lakes, rivers, oceans, or anything else. Not that mountains would fit in rivers, you know. <laughs> I never seen this, so I'm like, Jesus, are you literally saying we should walk around and be like Mount Rainier? You go into the Sound. That's those are Seattle references, by the way. Mount Rainier into the Sound. You know, and here comes Mount Rainier hovering over Seahawks Stadium, hovering over the Mariner Stadium. It goes over the wheel, right past the space Needle, and crashes into the water. And all of Seattle goes, what happened? And and, and and they find out that somebody from church home with a lot of faith just told Mount Rainier to go in the ocean. Well, no, that's that's chaos. That's, that can't be what Jesus means. Well, if you look at the whole of Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. Do you know what mountains are metaphors for? Kingdoms, systems. Jesus is literally saying, if you have enough faith, you can break down systems as well. You can remove systems and kingdoms made by man if you trust me. He goes on and he says, Believe me, and it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Be convinced you have it and receive it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you find, and now it goes into another observation, but before I get in there, let me just say this one more time. Jesus did not curse the fig tree. He replaced it. When asked about what he had done, he told Peter to pray in a way that he too would take mountains, And put them into the ocean, which is to say, if you have faith with Jesus, you would join him in his work. And what is his work? His work is removing these systems that keep people from knowing God. Jesus is so passionate about it. He literally physically, visibly gets involved and turns over tables in the outer courts and the court areas of the temple. No, no, no. The fig tree is a picture of the church. And then in response to the fig tree, Jesus says to Peter, listen, you can do the same thing. You can cast mountains into oceans. And Peter's like, mountains into oceans? What does that mean? That literally means that if you'll talk to me, I'll change systems. I'll remove kingdoms. And I will make sure that my children have a share of my face and my love and a relationship with me. All nations, all nationalities, all ethnicities, that's God's vision for the church. God's vision for the church is not a white church. It's not a black church. It's the church for all nations. That's the vision. And yet when you go back into the history of the United States of America, the entire reason we have a black church in this nation is because the white church wouldn't worship with African American men and women, boys and girls. And do you know why? Because of self righteousness and religion that led white people in the United States of America to believe, even theologically, that they were better than black people. Jesus says, the system is over, I've replaced it. Now the system is righteousness, peace and joy. Now the system is integration. Now the system is love, mercy, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. The system isn't judgment, it's mercy, not getting what we deserve. Jesus introduces a whole new way of living. Well, you start to soak in these realities. And I'm telling you, the ability, capacity, desire, passion to put yourself in another person's pain will grow astronomically. Jesus goes on, still talking to Peter about his response to the shriveled up fig tree. He says, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him. Release him and forgive him. Matthew Chapter five, verses 23 to 24, Jesus also speaks to this. He says, listen, if you go to the temple to pray and you bring your sacrifice again, get old system, you bring your animal sacrifice and you're there in the temple to worship me and pray to me. And then you remember that you have an offense with a brother. I want you to go home from church. I want you to leave church. I want you to leave the temple. How many know you can't leave the church? You are the church. What Jesus is literally saying is leave the place of worship. And what's more important than being in the temple or being at a church service or singing along songs or hearing another sermon or podcasting your favorite preacher, what's more important is forgiveness. What's more important is forgiveness. What's more important is not harboring offense and divisiveness and hate and bigotry and bias in your heart. Essentially, Jesus says, stop praying. Stop talking to me and go talk to your brother and then come back and talk to me. Can can I make a point? If you talk to God and God's never talked to you like this, I wonder sometimes if we've really talked to God because God talks back and he always talks back the same way he talks back here not the way we want to hear him, not the way we wish we heard him, but the way he speaks here. So if the way God speaks to your mind and your heart is different than how God speaks here, it's pizza. It's not God. But if you pray and you ever feel God nudging you to stop praying and go forgive your brother in your heart, I would urge you to stop, ask God for his help, and call up that brother and sister and release them. Let it flow is one of the meanings of forgiveness. Let it flow. Let forgiveness flow. The flow of forgiveness is far more important than the flow of people into buildings. What we need in 2020 is a flow of forgiveness. In fact, I wonder if while we're at home, we can access the flow of forgiveness a little bit easier because I think sometimes when we flow to a building, we think we have flowed in forgiveness. But Jesus says, you might need to leave the building to go make things right with your brother. Please understand and hear the priority of God when it comes to our spirituality and our journey. I don't want religion Religion keeps you out of the flow of forgiveness. It keeps you separated. It keeps you elite. It keeps you exclusive. It keeps you from exposure and education. Religion. Self-righteous. Self-contained. Self-serving. Self-being. self doing these are the ways of religion lastly I'm coming to a close it gets worse <laughs> and i mean better but more challenging same passage jesus says if you find it if you find in your heart you carry something in your heart against another person release him and forgive him so that your father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults so that your father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults so that your father will whoa, and then a debated verse of whether or not it was in the original canon, the original manuscripts. It's debated, but listen. But if you if you will not release forgiveness and don't, ex, then don't expect your father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds. Whoa, oh, where's the grace in that? Where's the love in that? Judah, are you, is this sermon going to end with you telling me that if I don't forgive my brother, God won't forgive me? That's what it says. What could Jesus mean? What could he mean? What could he be saying? I want to show you in conclusion what Jesus does on a regular basis when he teaches and he preaches. He does it on a regular basis. He is constantly including talks and scenes with statements <clears throat> that are so difficult and so beyond us, it leaves us something like this. What am I, What? that you may be sitting here going, I have no unforgiveness towards anyone. Therefore, God will forgive me. So maybe you're like, well, I like this message. But for the rest of us, we know we've had unforgiveness in our hearts lots of times. Even for 10 minutes, some for 10 months, some for 10 years, some for a lifetime. So does that mean Jesus won't forgive anybody who doesn't forgive those who hurt them and offend them? No, because that's inconsistent with scripture. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to bring the listener and now the reader to this place. Here's where the strength is. Here's where his power is. See, his power is most potent when you and I are done. I'm done, God. I don't have anything else to give. I can't fix this country. I can't force people to see what I see. I can't make white people love black people. I can't. Fiz- I, I'm tr- I can't stop the killings, the murders. Feel like I can't change the system. So we read scriptures like this, and if you're like me, you kind of go, I don't understand what that means. Anyways, I'm gonna go and live my life and live my day and try harder and be better. And without even knowing it, it's a sinky little, it's a sneaky and sinking little trap. Which leads you going something like, well, if them, if they just work harder and try harder. It would be fine. And religion settles in. Self-righteousness sinks in, takes hold. And our hearts get hard. And our heads get full of opinions. And our lips just keep moving and talking. And so... Parts of the world seem to think that Christians are opinionated, isolated, elitists who are sitting back in their churches critiquing a broken culture. Can I ask you, is that what Jesus looks like? No, you can't say that about Jesus. But can they say it about me? You? Us? Maybe. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to listen to Jesus. He says, if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you. That should cause you pause at the very least. Well, Jesus, I sometimes I just it just is there. And I don't even know. Like, you ever had this experience? You think like, I'm good with everybody. I'm good. It's kind of what my personality is. I want everyone to get along, and it's just, it's just my personality. So um I tend to think that like I have no offense with anyone. Just, I'm just not I'm, not. I'm not an easily offended person. That's probably why. But I'm like, oh, I'm good. But then you ever been in a room with someone, and you get that little twinge in here. It's like, mm. and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not talk to them. I'm gonna kind of avoid them. They're so annoying. This is so dumb. <sighs> you ever been there? You know what that's called? Unforgiveness, bitterness, strife, jealousy, envy. You know what Jesus says? You harbor that in your heart, I won't forgive you. What? Well, then, well, then, well, then I can't be forgiven. Or this is the gospel that whoever seeks to save his life or keep it for himself will lose it but whoever lets go of his life loses his life he'll find it jesus is preaching that in this passage he wants to bring you to god i i think i have unforgiveness towards people like every day to a small scale Offended, bothered, annoyed, ugh. And you just kind of, you talk it out with people. And yeah, and you kind of work yourselves up into a lather. Like, I, I try to do that most days, but I have. I do. I will. So what are you saying? Let go. From this posture, assume this posture. Here's my life. Take my life, your kingdom come, and your will be done. So that's what's happening in Mark chapter 11. That's literally what's happening. Jesus wants his audience to go, his disciples. Well, then you'll never forgive us. Peter at that moment probably had an offense towards John. They're like oil and water sometimes, those two. Jesus is saying, I know. So I need you to let go. So I need you to lay down. I need you to let go of your life. Humble yourself. Jesus says, you know, a lot of people didn't understand who he was hanging out with. During his three and a half year public ministry, he had friends that the church didn't have. He shared meals the church didn't share. And when some of the religious leaders asked, he said, Oh, you you've missed the point. I I came for people who know they're sick. Can't save people who think they're well and good prerequisite for the gospel is a willingness to go, I'm broken and I'm hurting. The road ahead for this nation is long. The road ahead for this church is long. Much work is yet to be done, church home. But I assure you, if this path is the path of righteousness, if this is the path of brokenness, if this is the path of humility, if this is the path where we lose our life, then I am sure this is the path Jesus has chosen. The path of self-righteousness and self-sufficiency and self-importance and and opinions and what you desire and what you want, when you want, that's not the path. The path is... I don't know God, but I trust you. Help me, continue to heal me, I'm broken. I guess on this Sunday, I'm hoping for our church, if I'm your pastor and this is your church, I'm hoping that maybe instead of just emphasizing prayer and worship and church attendance, what if we emphasized forgiveness? What if the message of Jesus was, leave the building, go home, and practice forgiveness in your neighborhood with your neighbor, with your brothers and sisters, with people who don't look like you and even those you call your enemy. Let the flow of forgiveness rush through church home. For we know we are broken and we are hurting and we are lost without our king without our leader, but I got good news. We have him and he has us. Jesus has replaced the system of religion, trying harder, doing better, getting good. He's replaced that system. The system that was focused on your performance has shriveled up and died. There's a new order and there's a new system. And it focuses on the performance of Jesus. And broken people can access the gift he's made available through his performance. And that is forgiveness forever. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're saying in our church. I love you. I love you. May church home be a place where your spirit is vibrant and alive and forgiveness flows and the flow doesn't stop. You forgiving us, us forgiving each other. Thank you, God. If you're here today and you say, Jude, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I just want you to do this wherever you are in that cafe right now. Just lift up your hand. I receive and I believe. If you believe in your heart, which means to receive the gift of Jesus. You believe he is who he says he is, the king of the world, God with skin on, maker of heaven and earth. It's a good God. He's the only God. If you believe that, you receive him. You're forgiven forever without question. All your error and your wrong, past, present, future, is totally and completely forgiven. It's by raising your hand. It's done. You, it's done. Isn't that amazing? I love you, church home. Please don't forget we have Pastor Chat right now. We have team members and staff members standing by as we speak on the church home app to pray with you, talk with you, and serve you any way we can. And secondly, please don't forget digital meetups right after this. As soon as I'm done talking, digital meetups so you can meet people, get involved, get engaged, We have, uh, I think, well over 200 homes that are practicing together their faith. They're joining with Church Home. They're part of Church Home. It's amazing. And more and more and more spaces and places and homes and ethnicities and languages are joining Church Home all over the world. It's incredible. I love you so much. Now we're going to join the band and enjoy some music together.